Welcome to Amato's fifth quarter podcast. Listen to incredible conversations with former high-profile AFL, A-League and NBL players who discuss their lives and respective professional sporting careers. Previous guests welcomed on the podcast include... Nelson Fletcher, Al Gordon, Travis Stoll, Craig Body, Tyson Edwards, Brett Maher, Dale Pickett, Eugene Brickens, Kevin Brooks, Jack Fitzpatrick, Bill McDonald, Sam Jacobs, Calvert, Marcus Ferguson, Sean Hedges, Tony McIntyre, Andrew Vlahov, Graham Corn, Brian Curl, Jason Ekamanis, Chris McDermott, Mike Ellis, Kevin Lich, Matt Smith, Michael Wilson, Brendan T, Jordan McMahon, Brett Burt, Matt Shanahan, Rupert Stapwell, Dusty Rokos, and Gibson. Links to all previous episodes are down below for your listening pleasure. But without further ado, let's get into this next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and tonight for episode 32, we are going to be joined by a former North Melbourne and Adelaide workhorse, Sam Gibson. A man with an incredible discipline, perseverance, and work ethic, Gibbo spent one season on Hawthorne's list as a rookie before being cut. He then had to wait five years until making his AFL dream a reality when he found his way onto North Melbourne's list debuting in 2012. He then began the run of 130 consecutive games for the Kangaroos, including being a part of four final series. He was then delisted at the end of the 2017 season, but was given another opportunity at the Adelaide Crows, where he spent one season before retiring at the end of 2018. Gibbo delves into how waiting until he was aged 26 to make the big league was actually a blessing in disguise, the disappointment of being a part of two consecutive preliminary final defeats in 2014 and 2015 with North Melbourne, the demise of North Melbourne in mid-2016 despite starting the season 9-0 and going on to only just make the finals and then get blown away in the first final against Adelaide, as well as his one and only difficult season both on and off the field for the Crows. Throughout his time in the AFL from 2012 to 2018, He played 135 games, of course, 130 of them, as I mentioned, consecutively for North Melbourne from round 12, 2012 until round 23, 2017. He scored 53 goals and also played eight finals. So without further ado, let's get episode 32 underway. Let's welcome on from the North Melbourne and Adelaide Football Clubs, Sam Gibson. So join in. Sing it one and all Join in the chorus North Melbourne's on the ball Cunnington gets it on to Gibson Back to Cunnington Will he go for Brown? He goes back to Gibson 28, he's got the goal! He's got the goal! North are back within three points Here's an opportunity for the Kangaroos But the snap is good! Gibson has kicked it out And they don't look like holding it for long Quick kick out of the pack Bouncing, bouncing Gibson has kicked the goal. North in front. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter. And today we've got one of the workhorses of the AFL, 130 games in a row from North Melbourne and Adelaide. Sam Gibson, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So, Sam, it's been now, what, four years since your final season in the AFL. 2018 was your last year. What have you been up to since then, and how have you sort of transitioned into life out of football? Well, 
I was sort of a bit of an interesting case where I'd worked previously before sort of starting my AFL journey. So I was a qualified engineer working in the construction industry. So I made a few contacts through my time in footy and sort of jumped straight back into it coming off the back of my last year. And now four years in, it sort of feels like life. It feels like footy's a long time ago. That's really interesting how you came into football late and you sort of had the opportunity to work before you you started playing for North Melbourne. That's something we'll get into. But do you think that was a blessing for you that you sort of got to grow up a little bit before coming into the football world? Yeah, absolutely. I think just from a life skills point of view, you tend to grow up a hell of a lot post leaving school and and those sort of formative years of getting through your sort of early and mid-20s and you start to finish uni and get a job and grow up and you sort of you just sort of see the world a little bit differently and and I, and I think that just takes time so that that's sort of a perspective that that I wouldn't have got had I entered the system at 18 and it probably just allows you to navigate the world of footy a little better but yeah it, certainly I'm feeling that leaving the AFL system is is a really really difficult thing for most guys to go through it was particularly difficult for myself but to have that free career to jump back into and, and that skill set on a resume made life a little bit easier. So while it was hard, yeah, it certainly I think the path my career took while it wasn't conventional, I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Before we get into that, taking you back to the early days, growing up, was football always a passion for you and you did you always aspire to play AFL? No, not really. I think I, I was born in Perth and, and we moved to Melbourne when I was probably five and a half, six years old. And when you turn up at primary school in Melbourne, you, you learn pretty quick that Saturday mornings are Auskick and you go and you buy yourself a footy jumper and you turn up and that's where all the kids from school go. So we sort of got introduced to that pretty quick, my brothers and I. And then it just became a bit of a, of a way of life. Saturdays were footy and, and you sort of learn pretty quick that, okay, you, you, you seem to be pretty good at this. So you continue to play and, and then you sort of get picked up through through sort of representative sides like, like the TAC Cup and it just sort of becomes part of your life. I don't think I thought about it a hell of a lot. I, I know I enjoyed playing. I had some times probably in my teenage years where I didn't particularly enjoy it for whatever reason or another, but it was just something that I did and I didn't really think about it much more than that and it probably wasn't until my post-school years that, that I probably sort of ticked off autopilot and sort of started to think about, well, hang on, why am I playing this? And and what do I really want to get out of it? And that's probably what changed for me and I guess allowed me to, to sort of enter the AFL system and, and sort of do what I did. So was that, I guess, the moment when you realised that you could potentially play at AFL level? Well, I had a, I was rookie to Hawthorne in 2005 or six after a couple of years playing VFL. That was a bit of a shock to me at the time. I know Box Hill and Hawthorne had a pretty decent relationship and it wasn't uncommon that a lot of guys from Box Hill got invited to train Hawthorne over the pre-season. And, and I must have showed something in that in that period that, that allowed them to sort of, I guess, pick me and, and give me an opportunity. And I probably don't think I was ready for it. And, and I think probably looking back, I sort of, I didn't feel like I deserved it or feel comfortable in doing that. So it probably wasn't until... I guess a few years after that when I was an established VFL player who was consistently playing well and looking around the field and, and the games you play knowing that you're playing against AFL listed players and more than holding your own but I thought yeah you know what I probably can do this and it was probably a few years of, of having to do that and I, I guess sort of consistently perform that allowed me to get the opportunity but by the time I got the opportunity I was well and truly convinced that that I deserved it and I was ready to take the next step. Yeah, and you mentioned your brief time at Hawthorne there. I believe it was actually 2007 rookie draft. You spent a season with Hawthorne. As you mentioned, you, you didn't play a game, but I'm, I'm really interested to hear about that one season you did spend on Hawthorne's list. That time was pretty much the beginning of that famous dynasty. So Alistair Clarkson at that time was only in his third year and you had sort of a young buddy, Franklin, Jared Roughhead, Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell... This was even before Cyril Rioli was on the list. Do you? What are your memories at your brief time there at Hawthorne? And did you spend much time with, with Alistair Clarkson? And how do you look back now at that brief time you spent at the Hawks? It's a bit of a blur, to be honest. I always had great things to say about Alistair Clarkson as a person. And he was, he was a bit of an influence when he was there. He always gave me the time of day. And 
I probably didn't appreciate at the time some of the guys that were there around you. I knew that, that guys like Sam Mitchell and, and Shane Crawford and, and guys like that, there was a hell of a lot to learn off those guys. But to be honest with you, I, I, I think I probably fell into the trap of what a lot of young guys do is you, you come into the system and you're just sort of so caught up and so excited that, oh my God, I've, I've finally made it into the AFL. And, you sort of don't know where to look a bit. You, you meet your group of mates that you sort of get drafted with and you sort of go about your business. And, and again, like I sort of spoke about earlier, you, you sort of, you're on autopilot a bit. You're just assuming that you've progressed through the 18s and, and the VFL and you've progressed to this point. So that progression should just continue. And don't get me wrong, I was always someone who was willing to work hard and improve. But I, I think someone probably with my talent ability needed to do a bit more than, than most. And I probably just... I guess didn't really have that understanding at that point in time that that's what I needed to do. So in that sense, it was a good learning experience for me because the second time around, I was just a hell of a lot better prepared. So yeah, as I say, it, it was a long time ago now and a bit of a blur, but I think I learned some really good lessons that I probably didn't know I learned until a little bit later on. And, and I, spo- I suppose it happens every season where young players do get cut after one season on the list and not playing game. But at the time, do you remember... Were you disappointed when you were cut from the list after the, that one season? Did you feel like you didn't get a fair opportunity to show what you could do? I was disappointed. I had a, a reasonably serious back injury at some point sort of towards the back end of that year, so I didn't really ever get a chance to mount a really solid case. But as I said earlier, I don't, I don't ever feel like the footy that I was playing necessarily deserved the spot in the first place. So... But nonetheless, you, you get the opportunity, you're excited to have an opportunity and 12 months later it's up. Yeah, it's really pretty disappointing and it's sort of hard to know where to go then, having been so brief and, and sort of feeling like it was just a blink of the eye and it was all over. So, so yeah, it was really disappointing at the time. Did you ever think at that time you might get another opportunity again? I, to be honest, I didn't. I thought about it the way that a 21-year-old would think about it is I'm just going to go back and play really well and it's just all going to happen again and probably put a, a lot probably too much pressure on myself to just go back having been a I think there's a thing with potentially the VFL and local clubs is if you've had an AFL if you've been on AFL list and you've had an AFL experience there's almost a, an added expectation and I probably thought that right oh I've had an experience now let's go back and have a really good year of AFL and, and it'll just happen and you, you'll get another opportunity and I found that that mentality of being so focused on just playing well and getting drafted, it just, it, it was really not conducive to playing well and enjoying footy. And, and it was probably a really down year that year for me to just sort of feel like, what am I doing? And it was back to what that sort of question I asked myself a bit through my teens is like, why are you doing this? Is it what you want to do or are you just doing it because you're good at it and there's a spot there for you? So again, really, really tough year. And we had a, we had a horrible year on the field at Box Hill that year. I probably had a few a few run-ins with the coach and we didn't necessarily see eye to eye. So it was really a, a fair reality hit that year. But again, you don't think it at the time, but you look back now and you're sort of thankful that you have those periods where you where you learn a lot, you push through stuff and you probably build a bit of that resilience muscle that you need to be sort of successful in life. You have, what, five years before you get another opportunity at the elite level and I understand you continue playing for Box Hill, you even captain the side and along with playing football, you, you have a, a degree in commerce and engineering. Do you think those five years between the AFL clubs benefited you in your AFL career? Like, do you think, had you not had those five years to, to develop as a footballer and as a person, you wouldn't have been the player that you were, particularly at North Melbourne? Yeah, definitely. For me, I was a late developer from a, well, probably in all aspects, from just from the physical side, from the mental side. And it, it allowed for a bit of a slower build. So at the end of 2008, I sort of questioned whether I wanted to do it anymore. And I was pretty lucky that Brendan Bolton walked in the door at Box Hill. And he, he's one of the most enthusiastic, passionate men I've ever met about footy. And he just, I guess, made me realise why I enjoyed playing footy again. And from there, it was just a growth. Every year just got better and better from all aspects. And once you're physical ability and your mental ability grows, your confidence grows and I probably needed those sort of three, there was probably three years, two or three years under Brendan where I sort of needed that growth to, to feel like like a, mind, a mindset shift from, from going out hoping that you can play well to going out absolutely knowing your value and knowing that you can play well and you can be one of the best players on the field. 
And I think it was getting to that point that was the trigger for me that, okay, now I can take the next step. And I was just so fortunate that at 25, someone actually gave me a look because that was pretty uncommon at the time that guys my age would get that opportunity. So how did that opportunity come about with North Melbourne? And was returning to the AFL something that you really wanted to do? Like, Was it something that you were directly working towards? After the, my first year out in from Hawthorne where I pushed myself too hard I just I made the sort of promise to myself that I just wanted that everything was driven about getting better and that I just wanted to get better and it was as simple as that it was there was no aspirational goals it was do everything you can so that every year you're just a better player and a better person a better leader and, and all those sort of things so I didn't really think about AFL too much I think it was probably 2010 I had my best year of AFL at that point and that's when I thought okay I'm 24, I've had a pretty decent VFL year, I, I would potentially be a chance that someone might look at me. And when that didn't happen, I'd spoken to a handful of clubs. It was sort of line ball. I remember I was in Venice with my wife on holidays, now wife's girlfriend at the time on holidays. And yeah, we were up at the, in all hours of the night watching a draft because there was a chance that something would happen. And unfortunately it didn't. And after that point, 2008, 11 was my first year of full-time work. So I graduated and started work. And at that point, it was just, let's just go and have as successful of a NFL career as you, as you can have. Yeah. Um, let's hit a 100-game milestone. Let's do a few of those things before work starts calling and you've got to prioritise other things. And so in 2011, when, when I sort of heard rumours that people were still looking, it was a bit of a shock at the time, to be honest. When you found out that you were a part of North Melbourne squad for 2012, what was that feeling like? Something that you'd been working towards and maybe at some point you, you didn't think was going to happen to actually get back onto an AFL list. What was that emotion like for you and your family? Well, for me, it, it felt like validation for sort of the hard work that had been put in. And I probably had to do it a little bit harder than most to get that opportunity. So it felt right. It felt like, yeah, I've, I've deserved this and I think I can make something of this. And I'm not sure about what my family thought. There was probably some trepidation given that they'd seen the sort of highs and lows of my time at Hawthorne. And I was starting to establish myself. I'd finished my degree. I had a decent job that the next phase of my life was starting. So I think, I don't know for a fact, but I think there was probably some trepidation that is, is this the right thing to do to put, put this sort of job on hold yeah, and, and pursue something that was potentially unlikely to turn into something it was going to be a long-term thing. It was those guys who sort of tend to get drafted a bit later. It can sort of turn into a year or two and then you sort of spat out again. But from my perspective, I, I was confident that if I had an opportunity, I could make a go of it. And For me, it was good timing, I thought. So, yeah, more than happy to grab the opportunity. And that North Melbourne squad, which we'll definitely delve into, led by Brad Scott, you had Brent Harvey and Andrew Petrie, Michael Ferrito, Todd Goldstein, Jack Zebel, Andrew Swallow a very, very good team, and you'd go on to play four final series with that team, and on a couple of occasions, you almost make a grand final, especially now that it's been a few years. How do you look back on that team and what you guys were able to, to achieve in those years? Mark is taken out there by Mackey, and the siren's going to sound, and North Melbourne are going to be into the preliminary final. What a match! Woo. What a contest. <laughs> a remarkable finish. First prelim since 2007. It's not just about the week immediately after, it's about the whole final campaign. North Melbourne are through to a prelim final against the West Coast Eagles next Saturday. I always felt like at the time that we were always undervalued and underrated. And that's sort of part and parcel of being a smaller club in a town dominated by the Melbournes and Collingwoods and Carlton's of the world. So you sort of take the good with the bad. When things are going well, you might not get the accolades, but when things are going bad, you probably don't stick as much as others. But I always felt that we had an inner confidence in ourselves as a team, that we were always sort of the underdogs. Um, And I know North Melbourne have sort of played into that a little bit, but it just felt like we we were overachieving, which overachieving in the eyes of the greater footy public, but internally we sort of felt that, that w- what we were capable of was pretty special. In terms of sort of whether we could have gone on, the first prelim final we played in must have been 2014. Yeah, against Sydney. Yeah, 2014. And we, just, we weren't in the game. It was quite clear to us that 
Yes, we'd won a couple of finals and we've got some good experiences, but we're nowhere near near the level. And I was sort of okay with that because we'd come on pretty quick and and we started a pretty solid group together. So so that was that was disappointing, but it felt okay. It was the next year that was really hard because again we made a prelim. We had to we had to play West Coast in Perth, which is a pretty tough road trip, and and we just we just couldn't quite get it done. And I, that was the year for me that I felt like if we if we'd somehow managed to win that game, we would have been a shot. So that was the one that's really hard to live with. But but that's for it. I don't look back on the on the what ifs too much. It's more just that the opportunity to play in some of those games is is things that most young kids dream of. And, and I got to do it multiple times. As you said, we played four final series, so they're probably the memories that stick out that, that I'll have for a long time. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick break for three-quarter time here on A5Q. I want to talk about Cappuccino's, the perfect mobile cafe for your event catering needs. Established in 2019 in Adelaide, South Australia, Cappuccino's is our family business, here to provide you with freshly brewed, hot barista-made beverages on wheels, using locally roasted La Crema coffee beans with our preferred blend included for any event needs. Cappuccino's caters for weddings and engagements, sporting events, school, university and work functions and birthday parties, just to name a few. We pride ourselves not only on delivering warm, smooth and delicious coffee at a great price, but also fantastic professional customer service with a smile. If our customers walk away satisfied, it means our job has been done correctly. We also cater for meal deals including bacon and egg rolls, hamburgers and hot dogs upon request. If you're based in Adelaide and need catering for your next social event, book with Cappuccinos by visiting our website at www.cappuccinos.com spelled C-U-P-P-A-G-I-N-O-S, link in the description below, or contact us directly via phone at 0418-894-570 or email at cappuccinos at hotmail. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and help spread the word. Now that we have that out the way, let's get back to the show. Your first game, so round 12, 2012, close win against Gold Coast. What did that first game mean to you? It was obviously a very long journey to get there and and you would have been, what, 25 at the time? I was 26 at the time, I think. 26, yeah. How do you reflect on that game 10 years later and sort of the, the journey that you had to take in order to get that first AFL game. North Melbourne are going to hang on and win, but boy, did they have to work for it. The Kangaroos win by seven points in one of the most exhausting matches you would ever likely to see. It's be good to get a win on debut. Yeah, it is. It's it's sort of it was a bit of a relief. We probably didn't win as convincingly as we should have, but you know, a win's a win, and it's good to it's always good to travel and, and come home with a win. Makes the trip home a lot easier. Uh, how did you rate your own performance? Oh, I didn't. I didn't sort of come in with too many expectations. I just Brad told me to, to play my natural game, which is to run and, and spread, and, and that's what I thought I did. And um, if it keeps me in the side next week, great. And uh, must have been a bit of an experience getting the power rate out after the game. Yeah, no, that was wasn't pleasant, but. But the boys enjoyed it, so anyway, I'll be having about three or four showers tonight. <laughs> and uh, what was it like uh, pre-game, getting the jumper presentation? What sort of feelings did you have then? Oh, just, uh, I guess, pride that, that it's the sort of, it's the end of quite a long journey uh, for me. But, but it was just excitement. I just wanted to put on the jumper and run out and play and, and yeah. I remember it's obviously having to wait a long time to get on the list. And those were the day, I, I'm, I'm, honest, I'm not sure if the rules have changed, but back in those days, I was a rookie and, to, to play, you had to get elevated, and that wasn't necessarily an easy, easy thing to do. You had to, you had to have someone injured, or there had to be a spot open on the list. And I remember at the start of the year there was one spot open for a rookie, and Aaron Mullet got that spot. So then I knew instantly that unless one of my teammates had a serious injury, I'd have to wait till mid-season before I got a chance. So again, it was that sort of painful wait to have to wait till sort of round 12 or whatever it was when there was an opportunity to elevate another rookie. So I sort of knew, I'd had enough words with the coaching staff that I sort of knew once we hit mid-year rookie promotion that I'd be a chance of playing. So I was prepared for it. But that being said, no matter how much for you played, 
it was just something else. It was the, your, your mind's a blur that it's going at a million miles an hour. And you're just sort of hoping to survive it, really. And yeah, to get away from that game and have a few kicks and do okay and hold my spot was, it was pretty satisfying. But, but for me, it was just, right, oh, this is one, this is one game. And, and how can you do what you need to do every single week from here on in to hold your spot? Well, you did hold your spot because this is where the, the run begins. So from round 12, 2012 until round 23, 2017, you play 130 games in a row. Now, that that is an incredible statistic considering you've got injuries, suspensions, form and all these other factors that plague many players' careers. For you to play week after week after week and play in multiple final series as well, what did you put that down to was it was it your training habits was it your diet your just overall discipline consistency was there a bit of luck involved what led you to be able to play five and a half seasons without a miss I think there has to be a bit of luck involved because it's an impact game and there's so many things that can go wrong so so luck plays a factor but also as I say I'd, I'd had the experiences before to know exactly what I needed to do to succeed and that's the years of Whilst I wasn't playing AFL, you're learning about your body and you're probably learning how. You don't get the resources of AFL level, so you learn how to be efficient with your time and efficient with your recovery. And you just sort of set things up, just allow you to continue to play. And and for me, that was just being a genuine pest to the physios and sports masseurs and and doctors and and just almost demanding that there's a certain amount of I guess, physical therapy and, and, and all that stuff that I need to ensure that I give myself every chance. But also, I think you come in late, you know that that you're sort of on borrowed time. And, and I actually had some footy staff tell me at some point that the, the intention was to, to draft me and give me a year or two while the younger players developed and that would be my time. So you know you're on borrowed time, which for me was just the mental side of it. Was you, you, you can never leave this team. Once you're in the team, you never give them an excuse to... To not play, whether that be form or injury, I think that mental attitude just let, allows you to get through things you might not ordinarily get through. So yeah, a combination of things, but so lucky that I got to make the most of my time in the AFL. So many guys go through such horrible runs and probably don't achieve what they what they set out to achieve. But for me, it was the opposite. I got every opportunity, and really, really thankful for that. You, you seem like the fact that you started late was the best thing that could have happened to your career? Uh, yeah, as I say, I think I think footy is, is such a mental game and there are lessons that at 18 you just don't know until you're older and that's sort of life a bit is. This stuff happens to you during life and, and you think, God, this is horrible. Why is this happening to me? And it's not until you've, you, you've grown, up, grown up a bit and, and I guess gained a bit of wisdom that you understand why things happen and how to learn from mistakes. Yeah, and, so true. So, so to be in that state of, of almost being able to see how things are going to play out a little bit better than, say, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old. And, and also just being appreciative of the opportunity that I had, knowing that it was quite uncommon for someone to get picked up at my age and that I wouldn't be satisfied if I didn't give it absolutely everything because it was such a rare opportunity and... Uh, from, from every point of view to have finished my uni so that the transition out of footy was made a little bit easier and yeah being able to be around and have the first few years of my son's life playing footy which is a pretty conducive lifestyle of being a father there was there was all sorts of things where from a timing point of view it was just it was perfect and I, yeah I wouldn't have changed a thing yeah that's and how do you juggle that you know family life and football life because I mean for me as a supporter it seems like an incredibly demanding job to be a professional athlete. And how do you sort of, how do you keep so many balls in the air at one time? It's hard because I think any professional exploit is inherently pretty selfish. And that was, for me, it was a lot of what happened week to week was putting myself in a position to play on the weekend and having children sort of changes that dynamic a little bit where you're not the most important person in the household anymore. But that being said, it's, it was an outlet too. If things weren't going so well and, and you, you come into the rooms after a game and your little boy's there, it, who cares? Like, it, there's things that are so much more important yeah. than what happens, what happens day to day. So, so it was, it was a blessing, but it was certainly a challenge to, to, to go. My son didn't sleep very well for the first sort of six to nine months of his life. And that was pretty stressful when you're, when you're trying to be at peak performance and 
doing ticking all the little boxes which I like to tick to have those sort of hurdles was difficult but again we got through it and I think it certainly provided us with a hell of a lot more than it took away. Halftime break here on Amato's fifth quarter podcast and I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone who has tuned into the show. The support is very much appreciated and I hope this episode is finding you well. If you're enjoying the show, it would be a massive help if you could consider subscribing and leaving a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps feed the podcast algorithm and boost the show's visibility, which will therefore allow for other Australian sports tragics to see and listen to the show. Five stars, of course, would be fantastic, but I'll leave that up to you. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. Throughout your career, you established yourself as a true workhorse. You were very tough, very reliable, and you had this amazing ability to always find the football. I don't know if you're aware of this stat, but in your entire career, you only had less than 10 possessions on three occasions. What did you consider to be the strongest part of your game and what allowed you to just find the football, basically? My strength was always my aerobic capacity and just ability to get up and down the ground. And, and, and again, sort of going back to the being a little bit older is footy IQ is real. It's something that, that not everyone has. And I'm not saying I necessarily had it, but the fact that you've been able to play senior level footy for a long time, you sort of learn where the ball drops more often than not, where people tend to look when they've got the ball, all those sort of things that allow you to, I guess, figure out where to run and how to, how fast to run and where to position yourself. And you learn all that that potentially an 18-year-old might not have had the experience to sort of really know instinctively. But for me, it was, there was, I had one quality that was potentially elite at AFL and that was aerobic capacity. So play into that as much as you can because I had a hell of a lot of faults, but they tend to sort of, get overshadowed if you've got one one real strength so yeah it was always played on my strength so we briefly mentioned it earlier 2014 and 2015 were quite remarkable really because north melbourne were very much the blue collar very hard working and and as you mentioned underrated and undervalued side you never really got the accolades that you deserved you you, you fought and scrapped your way into the finals with a 14-8 and 13-9 record respectively in those two years but you really managed to turn it on in finals when you got there. Four wins in those two years and consecutive preliminary final appearances from outside the top four. In fact, 2015, you you were the first and still the only team to reach a prelim from eighth position. You you mentioned the blowout against Sydney in 14 and and not necessarily being ready for that moment. But you, you said that the West Coast Eagles game in 2015 is one that still hurts you to look back on. Do you ever look at particularly that year, and and think what could have been had we gotten to the grand final. So Sydney are about to go to a fourth grand final in 10 years. The four grand finals before this took 70 seasons. They're in a golden era, aren't they? In his 350th to his fourth grand final. Biggest winning margin ever in a final, biggest score ever. The Swans will be charging to the MCG next Saturday afternoon. West Coast Hawthorne Grand Final. Big winners, West Coast. Through to their sixth Grand Final, looking to capture their fourth flag against the Hawks. Yeah, a little bit. I watch the Grand Final every year. I still do. And I remember that year, I actually couldn't watch past about halfway. And it was it was just it was too raw to have seen that that they were there when I felt like it could have been us. But that's sort of pretty fleeting. You, you sort of have those emotions for a period of time, and then you start back up in November, December, and it's just business as usual. It's like right, oh, well, it's the next hill to climb. And yeah, and as I say, I don't, I haven't focused too much on the what ifs because I guess there's so many other things going on in in our lives that that footy, while it was a really important part of my life, it's, it's not the be all and end all, and it's not going to define I guess who who I am or, or the father I am or the husband I am it's just it was just a part of my life and 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 I'm I'm comfortable that I did everything I could to achieve team success and we didn't quite get there and not many do so it is sort of it is what it is do you think it was a case of just having nothing left in the tank because you had to slog it out in 
the two finals and then the, the, the prelim against West Coast, you led at half-time. Things were looking really, really good and then they just sort of overran you in the second half. Do you think you just had nothing left? Yeah, I think that's probably the case. I think the times have changed a little bit recently, but it used to be if you don't finish top four, you don't play in a grand final. And there's a reason for that. It's because you've got to play an extra week. You've got to travel maybe. So I think you're right. We And also because we were probably a little bit up and down throughout those years and we were never really guaranteed a spot until late in the year. You're sort of you're, you're often playing your finals before the finals start because you don't have that that wiggle room to lose a few here and there. You've, you've got to win all your games. Yeah, every game, sudden death almost. Yeah, so that plays a bit of a physical and mental toll. And, and you're probably right. You get to a point where you make the trip over to Perth and they've had a week off, and you just you run out of juice. And yeah, that 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 that's one thing that you sort of wish we'd done a bit better is banked a few more games those years to give ourselves a better chance of being top four but wasn't to be unfortunately so the year after 2016 that's an extraordinary season for many reasons and that's something I've been keen to to talk to you about so North enter that season after two preliminary final losses you're the oldest and most experienced list in the competition nine players 30 years or older you've got seven players with over 200 games experience and you go undefeated in the first nine games. And seemingly, you just sort of fall off a cliff. You only win three games for the remainder of the year. You're only finishing eighth by a percentage. And then you lose the first final by 10 goals to Adelaide. It was a, a massive fall from grace. I'm really interested to hear your point of view and your opinion on sort of what went wrong after what was an incredible start, 9-0. Still got rid of the handball, but they turn it over. And Adelaide are showing no mercy here. A crushing 62-point final win so far. Sloan off hands. Siren sounds. Adelaide advance. They play Sydney at the SCG. North Melbourne eliminated. Standing ovation, Adelaide Oval. I don't know, to be honest. I know that, we, as I say, we were all pretty stung by the 2015 prelim final loss. And, and we still had some pretty decent cattle at that point in time, and a lot of experience and a lot of just really good quality players. And, and as you said, a lot of those guys were, were getting on a bit. So maybe the season sort of dragged on. The older guys started to slow down a little bit or or maybe we got lucky early in the year. It's a bit hard to tell, but momentum in footy is such a such an important thing and I think when you're up and going and you're feeling confident and you're rolling it's probably allowed us to win those games and by the same token you, you get mid- midway through the year everyone's a little bit tired you, you start to drop a few I know that that the end of that year was a pretty pretty horrible year from a list turnover point of view so maybe maybe guys were starting to, to cast their eyes to the what ifs of will they go on beyond that year I'm not really sure I can't speak for them but yeah it was it was quite shocking at the time to be be in a position nine rounds into the year where you, you probably stitched up a final spot and you're not even halfway through the year to then barely scrape through and as you say we weren't even competitive in the final and, and we probably knew we wouldn't be given the form we brought into the final so yeah that was quite a hard fall from grace and a bit of a reality check. Did you Do you remember ever thinking at the halfway point of the year that maybe this is the year we could go all the way? Because it, I mean, that first, those first nine games, you were without a doubt the best team in the competition. Yeah, probably, especially given that typically teams who win grand finals sort of build towards them, and we had done the perfect blueprint of, of just building and building and building. So it sort of felt like we had some finals experience. We just needed to to stitch up a top four spot to give ourselves a really good opportunity. So. Without remembering the time, yeah, absolutely. I would have, I would have thought that midway through that year, we were thinking we're capable of, of taking that next step. And as I say, you start to you start to take your eye off the prize a bit too soon, and, and things can fall apart pretty quick, which they obviously did. What about the end of that season when Boomer, Michael Fredo, Nick Dalsano, and Drew Petrie left the club and and their careers had finished? Do you remember? that final against Adelaide and, and farewelling those champions of the game. And very respectful, the Adelaide players, to these North Melbourne champions, Drew Petrie and Boomer Harvey, Nick Del Sando and Michael Ferrito in their 
send-off games from North Melbourne tonight. Who knows which of those will continue to play? Rory Sloan with some great words then and puts the arm around Boomer Harvey. Some tears there from Drew Petrie as well. Yeah, and, and their families are just coming out into the ground now. Those players, Drew Petrie with his young son, the Adelaide Crows players, walking across, they're going to set up and give these players the farewell they deserve. It wasn't their night tonight. They didn't get the win. They're going to make sure they go off this ground well, with the adulation they deserve. 1,345 games between the four players tonight. Michael Ferrito, 275 games. Nick Del Sano, 322 games. Drew Petrie, 316 games. The second most ever at North Melbourne to Boomer Harvey, 432 games. Yeah, I, I remember it just being a really flattening period of time, but it must have been sort of with a, with a couple of weeks to go in the year. And we had a we had a meeting before our main training session, which was which was normal and things just that you, you could just sense that there was something in the air a bit. I was well, I'm pretty good mates with Nick Delsano at the time. He was he was the most jovial, the loudest, but and he was just a bit off that morning. And I remember we were all sitting down, and I think Brad said, "Oh, a few of the boys want want to say something," and and that was that point where it was one of them, then it was two of them, then it was three, and you just thought well, this is never going to end. Like this is, just feels like it's ripping the, the heart and soul out of the team. It was really, really flattening period. And I think, yeah, it was it was just sad that, that it ended that way, that we had a pretty pretty ordinary finish to the year and that we couldn't send off those guys on a better note. But also, they were friends. They were guys who had built the culture of the footy club over a long period of time. And, and to have them not there was really, it was really shocking for everyone. It was for us. For the partners who were friendly with the guys' wives and kids, and yeah, it was a really tough period. And it sort of made it was the first time I sort of realised that it doesn't matter who you are, that this this game will get the better of you at some point. That that it doesn't care. No one cares about your resume at the end of the day. It's, it's a brutal game, and if someone feels like your value is up at that point in time, it's up. And that led to probably a bit of guilt in my eyes that I was. I think 32 at the time and thinking well hang on how have I still got a spot when these guys don't and yeah it was a re- it was just a tough period but but again a learning experience that's footy it, it expires for everyone it doesn't matter how good you are how many games you've played or Brownlands you've won it'll end one day and that's at the end of the day it is a brutal brutal game did that cause a bit of friction at the club I, I think it probably could have done it could have been done better from a communication point of view. I don't I don't necessarily take any issue with the club's decision to do that if they thought that's what was best for the team. And, and as you said, we had a significant fall from grace, which would lead you to believe that premiership window was closing and that, that it was time to sort of usher in a new generation. So I don't have any issues with that, but I, I probably tend to look at things, I guess, at a higher level and and that there's, there's so many aspects to this and what you do on the field is just one small aspect of what you provide for a club and potentially having four guys of that level of experience and that amount of respect in the club to leave at one point in time potentially just sort of left a, a hole that was a little bit hard to fill so it was it was a shock that it was it was that it was four of them that it wasn't just one or two but no, we, we backed the club. To, they made the right decision in, in the sense that, all right, here's a, here's a new period for North Melbourne. We've got to give some kids an opportunity. And, and as I said, that's the nature of footy. It's out with the old and in with the new a bit. But for some of the young kids on our list who had been sort of chomping at the bit for an opportunity, for them to get that opportunity, they needed for some of these young guys to leave. And, and that's just the nature of the game. It's obvious that 2016 was pretty much North Melbourne's last chance to win a premiership with with that particular group and unfortunately you weren't able to do it. So 2017 was was a step backwards in, in terms of the on-field performance. You had some stalwarts of the club move on, as we mentioned, and at the end of that year, again, a very solid season for yourself. You, you did play every game again, but you find yourself delisted. How, how does that process work when... Are you, are you just told that you, you're not required for next season? How does that work? So obviously we were probably, there was a few older guys at the time, uh, you're on high alert, you've seen what's happened to you before and you, you sort of realise no one's safe and, and you understand the, where the footy club's at. We had another really tough year and you get a picture of where things are going and typically 
for me as an older player, often it was sort of July, August, you might start talking to the club about a contract. And I know at that point in time, it was a, it was a let's wait and see. And that for me, like, I, I think deep down, I always knew that once that happened, that it was probably unlikely that I'd get an opportunity, regardless of how things went on field. Or, but it was, it was a hard process because it just dragged out for me. It was, you get through those last probably six rounds of the year, you hear nothing. You go into the off season where you want to, you want to sort of enjoy a break, and you're still you're still unclear what's going on. And there was sort of a few a few balls in the air still. And yeah, so for me, it was a really sort of tense, tough period of, of just sort of prolonged what if, which ultimately I think ended where I knew it was going to end. But in hindsight, it might have been nice to have the band aid ripped off a little earlier. Was there ever a time when you thought? that your career was finished or were you always keen to try and find another opportunity for, for 2018? No, I, when I finished that year, I absolutely thought I could still play. I, I had some pretty pretty ordinary body issues that year and struggled a bit with some things that, that made it really hard. Like I, I wasn't training as much as I should have and it was a bit of an effort just to get out and play and to manage to do that and play every game. And I think I finished sixth in the best and fairest that year. So to think that, that that's still what I'm capable of, that absolutely I've still got more to give. And thankfully for me, it wasn't too long after getting delisted that you did start hearing that other people were sort of sniffing around and, and that sort of led me to believe that, yeah, you know what, I think I think there's definitely an opportunity for, for me out there. And, and thankfully it came pretty quick and there wasn't a whole lot of sulking. It was it was all stitched up within a couple of weeks and, and we were moving on. And yeah, thankful for another opportunity. Before we get into the final stretch of this episode, we need to take one more break here for three-quarter time on A5Q. Now, this podcast is partnered with Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not really achieve this efficiently. If you want high-quality results, you need high-quality products. Pete and Pedro... Established in 2013, offers premium hair and beard grooming products and tools that will actually get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair, and beard thoroughly without burning a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, combs, brushes, and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote or partner with a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for years now and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your grooming game to that next level without breaking the bank, do yourself a favor and check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DMATO10, spelled D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you'll score yourself an extra 10% off on what is already a great deal. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. But for right now, let's get back to the show. So 2018, you find yourself in Adelaide. And as a whole, 2018 for the Crows was a bit of a, a disappointing year. They'd just come off a grand final loss. A couple of key position players left the club. A couple of key position players joined the club, such as yourself and, and Bryce Gibbs. There's the story of the famous camp and the season starting reasonably well, but Again, they sort of fall off a bit of a cliff and they miss the finals. It would be interesting to hear your take on sort of a half outside, half inside perspective about that preseason camp and whether, whether just whether that really did have anything to do with the on-field demise of Adelaide from your perspective. It's been an intriguing year for Adelaide Crows supporters. They were the team of last year. They had a bad grand final day, but it's fair to say there has been some drama this year. It almost started the day following the grand final, continued through the pre-season and lingered, frankly, for most of it. Enough has been said on the matter, and I'm not going to delve in it again tonight. Before we acknowledge we made some mistakes, that's what humans do. In our drive to improve in our program, both in our physical and our mental side, um, in hindsight, seeking gains, maybe we push too far, and that I regret. And here's the problem. Sorry's not enough. Sorry is not enough to that group. 
the sorry part of it, the forgiving part of it, the managed part of it from here moving forward, I think, from what I've heard, is problematic. You're and problematic, for me, means change or leave. It will certainly didn't help. Adelaide's such a unique case. But I remember it was probably my first day in Adelaide. I'd driven over and was just sort of starting to set up shop over there. And, and I'd come from a low-profile team in Melbourne where you just go about your business, no one knows who you are, and it's great, and you can do what you got to do. And the first day I was in Adelaide, you just go to buy a coffee, and people know who you are. And that was a real shock to me that, and I learned pretty quick that Adelaide is a footy-mad town, and footy is everything. And I think that when things are going well, that's great because everyone's patting you on the back and, and everyone's encouraging. But when things aren't going well, that can be a really tough place. And, and the AFL can be all-consuming and you can feel like it's the be-all and end-all. And I think it's really important for guys to have an escape out of that, be it a hobby or, or, or whatever, just to, just to escape that, that mental strain of playing footy. And I think that's probably harder for those guys who live in those states where footy is so important because, as I say, you you, you can't really go anywhere without getting recognised. And I think that probably played a role the the year before having lost the grand final that I'm pretty sure they were expected to win can have a pretty big impact on guys, I think, to have to front up up to your cafe a week later and and just feel the questions, what happened, guy, and just sort of to feel the weight of that whole state on your shoulders a little bit, I think probably played a role but I didn't see any of this coming I, I sat in a meeting really early days of my time in Adelaide and it was a bit of a round circle chat about what had happened the year before and, and, and what, what needed to go right to move forward and, and there was an energy in that room and I walked out of that room convinced that Adelaide were going to win the premiership and that I could potentially be a part of that it was just it was really tangible and that was the next step wasn't it lose a grand final and it, get the opportunity yeah. again next year and win it yeah it, it felt like that absolutely and but footy footy strange you can be off by five percent and that means that means the world or it it was just one of those things where there was probably a few distractions and and then again you, to, to not be able just to deal with playing footy to have to deal with distractions and, and other things going on makes life a bit tougher but but yeah i, I sort of got an interesting ride being a, almost a tourist to sort of see having not I guess not had the history with what they'd been through and the, the mental scars of losing that grand final, but to sort of see from the outside gave me a pretty sort of interesting perspective. What was your experience like playing with some of those big names in Adelaide? So, you know, Tex Walker and Rory Sloan, Eddie Betts, Daniel Talia, those sort of players. What In that short time you spent at Adelaide, how do you sort of view your time there? Really tough from a footy point of view. I mean, I, I, I thought I really enjoyed the preseason. I moved... When I moved to Adelaide, I spent the first week I was there living in Texas house and he was the most accommodating bloke. He obviously, he's a sort of a larger than life figure and you've got a you've got a perception of what you think he might be based on what the media tells you he might be. And, and he was just the most warm, accommodating bloke and, and I was really thankful for that. And then the same with guys like Eddie and they're just, and, and Richie Douglas in particular. They, these are guys who are just, they're just good people. Um, and I felt really, really welcome. And that was... I felt like that, that they were sort of open arms and that they felt I could make them better and that they could make me better. And, and I was really, really sort of motivated by that. Having having had a few years at North Melbourne where we were sort of on the slide and going through the stuff we went through and as I say, there was some body issues there. And to sort of turn up somewhere fresh, was, it just felt it felt awesome. And, and my little boy was sort of turning two at the time, which is a really good age for kids. And my wife was really happy with it. To, to live somewhere new and fresh, it was it was just it felt really really good for most of the preseason, and then and then obviously I had some injury issues throughout the year, and and in in some ways it left a sour taste in my mouth because I felt like I never really got an opportunity, but in many ways it was it was a perfect full stop that that I'd just reached a point in my time where something in my body was saying after so long you can't do this anymore. And, for me, it was an absolute full stop that this has to end so that I could walk away knowing that, yeah, you gave it a go and you got everything out you could have and, and this is the end now, move on to something else. Yeah, because you were injured early on in the season and you only ended up playing the five games for the Crows. After basically being injury-free your entire career with North Melbourne, 130 games in a row, you said it left a sour taste in your mouth. Was it 
was it really disappointing that you, you never really got that opportunity to play consistent football in Adelaide? Yeah, it was. And, and I mean, I obviously, I, I felt a bit guilty that that I couldn't couldn't be out there and sort of show my wares. And, and as, a, as a new player, you want to hurry up and, and, and start playing and forming bonds with these guys and, and sort of sh- and showing you that you're committed to them and you're providing some value. And I managed to get through a pre-season unscathed and felt as fit as I've ever been and and did a, like a minor hamstring in the captain's run before round one, which for those who don't know, that's literally, you, you're, just, you're just mucking around, you're, you're getting some, getting a bit of jogging in and you're just sort of freshening up the day before a game. There's, there's nothing physical about that day, so to, to do a hamstring is, was really quite strange. And then that then led to, I think, three or four more recurring hamstrings before I even got a chance to come back and play. And for me, that was sort of uncharted territory. And it was a real sort of confusing time because you would understand someone running at a million miles an hour tearing a hamstring, but... I'd continually tear and doing 70, 80% strides and stuff just wasn't adding up. And that probably then led me to lose a lot of confidence in my body, which I, I'd always been very confident that, that I could front up and perform and, and get through games. And once you sort of lost that confidence that, well, what happens if I sprint for this ball? Is my hamstring going to hold up? And, and I think that was probably the beginning of the end that, once you start taking your focus away from exactly what you have to do when you're out playing, it's just not sustainable. So, yeah, that, that's where we got through with, with that and inevitably led, led to the end. So when a professional athlete knows it's time to retire, how do you sort of come to that decision in terms of your emotion? Like, is it sad? Is it, were you very content with it? How, how do you gather I, your thoughts when you know it's time to, to hang up the boots? Sort of mixed emotions. I think footy for me was always a balancing act where you had to give a hell of a lot but you got a lot back and it took a physical toll it took a mental toll and and there just became a point in time when the scales tipped and what it was taking away was too much and I knew that and and at that point in time it was you you know within yourself that it's the end so it's while it's incredibly sad and and it's the end of a chapter and to sort of to feel your I guess mortality that you can't do this anymore but by the same token, knowing that it is 100% the right decision and there was there was no other alternative. And I was so fortunate to get seven good years of footy and play as many games as I did and meet the people I did and get the opportunities I did. And so really, really mixed feelings. But ultimately, contentment that I couldn't have done anymore. And, and yeah, happy to, happy to pull up stumps there. Sam, just as we are about to close up now, I've got three last questions for you and I always finish my podcast episodes by asking my guests these last three questions. In your entire career, who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who's the best coach you ever played under and why? Best player, Brent Harvey, just for for his ability to be consistent every single game. He just had an ability to to just be one of the best people on the ground every single game and just watch it year after year after year after year. and It was just quite phenomenal to watch. The other was, from an out-and-out skill point of view, I don't think I've seen anyone better than Daniel Wells, just his ability to... Some of the stuff he could do at training was just... It, it just didn't make sense, his ability to influence contests. And from, from just a pure skill point of view, probably him. Best player I've played against. Gary Ablett, just, again, I used, occasionally I used to go and run with people and he was just, I could see how he's just impossible to stop because he's so strong over the ball, never loses his feet, knows where the ball's going, can't give him an inch. He just was the complete package. And then coach, Brad had the biggest influence on my career just because of the time we spent together and, and I guess we sort of had a pretty good understanding of who each other was and and that sort of worked well for our relationship. But, but as I mentioned earlier, Brendan Bolton's influence from a from an AFL point of view was probably the defining factor in me deciding to pursue footy. So he was a huge, huge mentor as well. And uh, yeah, thankful to both those guys. Wish I could have formed a bit better of a relationship with Don, but unfortunately we didn't have the time together. And I still really respect the opportunity that he gave me. Yeah, we had a few good laughs along the way. And, 
Sam Gibson, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I really do appreciate your time. Congratulations on everything you achieved on and off the field, and I wish you all the best in the future with family and work, and thank you very much for your time on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Dan. appreciate it. And that is a wrap for another episode. I trust you enjoyed this conversation, and I thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. And I'll catch you all on the next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast.